Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong. That's the fact, Jack. And Joe Getty. Joey, baby. Things are getting weird, and they're getting weird fast. Armstrong and Getty. But I know this. They're loco. And everyone knows it. But the dramatics could come down just a little bit. And now, here's Armstrong and Getty. I remember on uh, the 4th of July, I tweeted out something to the effect of what an amazing country this is to live in and work in and find yourself in. And and there tends to be an over-focus on the problems, which is just kind of the nature of humanity. Um, but it's worth reminding yourself every so often that this is still the land of opportunity and, and liberty to a large extent. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And it struck me that a couple of different people uh, retweeted a chart that we discussed several weeks ago median household income in the United States by ethnic group. And one of the people who retweeted it was Yeonmi Park, who is a Korean, North Korean defector. Uh, she has written a couple of books. She has a million YouTube subscribers. She's a big advocate for freedom and against dictatorship and communism. Um, and she, along with this chart, she tweeted, how can you ever claim that American, the American dream is only for the privileged white people? The facts simply tell us otherwise. The American dream is for anyone who believes in the possibility of this land and dedication to hard work. I am proud to be an American, she writes. God bless you, my sister. Anyway, the chart she's discussing, which, again, we brought up earlier, but is worth taking a quick gander at. Uh, median household income by ethnic group in the United States. And at the top, by a significant uh, amount, is Indian Americans. Indian American supremacy. That's what causes that. Which is not shocking. The Indian families I have met, particularly those who are headed up by immigrants, 
They believe in working 700 hours a yeah. week until you're 80. Then maybe you take a day off. That's yeah. just their philosophy of life. Yeah, I got a neighbor like that, and he and his extended family, all incredibly successful people, working like crazy. Yeah, Judy and I would hang out with these folks, and they're lovely people. Um, uh, they, they had some bright kids. We had some bright kids. Uh, but their bright kids studied like eight hours a day um, in, like, fourth grade. It <laughs> right. was something to observe. Right. Yeah. Anyway, so Indian Americans are at the top uh, at 100,000 plus. Filipino Americans are in second place. Then Taiwanese Americans, Sri Lankan Americans, Japanese Americans. You notice trend here? A lot of Asian folks. Uh, Malaysian Americans, Chinese Americans, Pakistani Americans, until you finally get down to white Americans who are in, what is that, uh, eighth place? Something like that. Um, at 59.9 a year, median. Um, and these numbers are a couple of years old, but they're relevant nonetheless. Then you got Korean Americans, Indonesian Americans, the average American, all Americans pulled, Thai Americans, Bangladeshi Americans, Nepali Americans, Hispanic, Latino Americans. Then at the bottom of the heap is African Americans. At $35,000 a year, which is it's a little more than a third of what the Indian Americans are making, but it's it's significantly less. And the great uh, thinker and writer Peter Bogosian also uh, blasted out this chart. His comment was, imagine believing that the only explanation for this disparity is systemic discrimination against the group on the bottom. Now, imagine the vast array of other falsehoods you'd have to convince yourself of for this to make sense. Which is kind of a uh, cerebral point, but a good one. Absolutely. And it reminded me of this editorial in the Wall Street Journal that I thought was just terrific. It was in the wake of the Supreme Court's um, Harvard slash uh, North Carolina uh, decision about affirmative action. And they get a little bit into the political reaction. Democrats en masse are on the attack against the Roberts Court, the delegitimization campaign, personal assaults against Justice Alito's integrity, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Senators Ed Markey and Elizabeth Warren want to expand the court to 13 seats, blah, blah, blah. Then they get to the, the gist of it. The U.S.'s polarization over race has indeed become deeply destructive. Its cause lies not in systemic racism, but more in political decisions made 60 years ago. And they go into how, you know, prior to the Civil Rights Act of 1964, Republicans were pushing civil rights hard and were integral, uh, strong support for Republican senators for the Civil Rights Act of 1964. It was very much bipartisan. Um, and, and indeed... It's the Democrats in the South who held out the longest in favor of segregation. Anybody with a shred of historical knowledge knows that in the 50s and 60s, Southern Democrats were staunchly against any significant civil rights problems. Particularly, weirdly enough, Lyndon Johnson, who was the master of the Senate and very powerful and made sure nothing could ever see the light of day until he was president and then managed to get it through, which is very confusing to me. Yeah, we've wrestled with that transition a couple of times through the years, trying to figure out, was that a strategy? Did he have a Saul on the road to Damascus moment? Or what? I don't know. I don't think anybody does. Anyway, so it was really a bipartisan thing with a lot of resistance from Democrats. What came next was Lyndon Johnson's Great Society program, the, quote, War on Poverty. In effect, liberal Democrats back then said to Republicans and conservatives, step aside. The running of these programs to help black Americans is something we, Northern Democrats, are going to control. You Republicans don't have a role in this. 
No doubt the Democrats' takeover of anti-poverty programs and their large financial transfers was done in part to keep black voters inside the party's coalition. Of course it is. Still, it's hard to overstate the monopoly control that career Democrats asserted over public policies affecting the lives of black Americans. The rest of the country was reduced to bystanders. From time to time, a Republican like Jack Kemp, uh, Bob Dole's running mate in 96, would try to cross the racial bridge with less centralized policy proposals, and he was rebuffed. What is there to show for this social welfare monopoly? Put plainly, the Democrat stewardship of urban black America, its education, housing, and family well-being has been a policy and moral failure. Something I've said for a very long time, as others have. No doubt it was well-intentioned, at least in part. But at past some point, the catastrophe for black family cohesion and education was so embarrassing that by internal democratic consensus, it became virtually a non-subject. One exception would be Bill Clinton in the 90s said, hey, we got to fix the welfare state. It's ruining black families. And he, uh, he had a variety of measures that were actually pretty, pretty successful. Bill Clinton, uh, uh, it's always worth mentioning way too conservative to run as a democrat now and borderline too conservative for some republicans right and then they go into uh the most disturbing liberal failure is in education the race-based admissions policies of harvard north carolina princeton and other elite schools are the result of so many black americans being underprepared by their public schools um it mentions a visit to the editorial board by uh public college university presidents um, who unapologetically argued to us that remedial courses in English and math were not only necessary for incoming black freshmen, but should be a requirement for college's accreditation. These university presidents should be on the ramparts for public school reform. Instead, they pulled down the shades and retreated to the salve of their admissions policy. And they go into some of the details about the miserable publication, uh, public education in America's cities. You're more than familiar with that. I don't think we need to rehash it. But their point is... The Democrats are desperate to scapegoat the Supreme Court because it's a distraction from the horrifying failure of 60 years of Democrat uh, welfare policy. It's decimated the black family. So that the percentage of black kids born out of wedlock, for instance, pre the 1964 Civil Rights Act, fraction of what it is today, tiny fraction. Right. And it would, dang it, it would sure be nice if people would tie those things together. I don't know, but I'm guessing the uh, kids born out of wedlock and a variety of other stats for those groups at the very top of that income list you read us mm-hmm. are quite a bit different than it is for the numbers at the bottom. And oh, I, yeah, wish I came I, across that number the other day. It's like 13% for Asians and, uh, and 72% for black families. And I wish people would, you know, be willing to say, you know, that's got that plays a role. It's not just white supremacy. Yeah, their answer would be it was white supremacy that created that. But right. that is right. absolutely sure. ignoring and abusing the historical record. It's utterly dishonest to claim that. So what do what do people who believe uh, those numbers are about racism? How do you how do you attribute that list of 15 different kinds of Asians that are above white people? they'll make some really ugly claims about, yes, Asians have assimilated white supremacy, or it's the model minority myth where the Asians have submitted to the white supremacy to gain a foothold in America, blah, blah, blah. Hmm. It's so ugly. 
we've mentioned this before, but uh, the great Democrat liberal lion of the welfare state, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, um, who got a lot of this stuff going in the late 60s with uh, Lyndon Johnson, he commissioned a giant study. What year was it? It was in the very early 70s, I think, because back then and, and, and knock me down with a feather. The government officials were curious to see whether the programs were working. And so they did a big study of the welfare state and the effects it was having in Moynihan, who, again, was Ted Kennedy-esque in his liberalism, big believer in the social welfare state. He got this report and said, hey, this is not working. In fact, it's hurting families. It's destroying families. This is bad. But the electoral stranglehold on black America of the Democratic Party and then black America's dependence on those programs was growing so strong. It was so clearly an electoral win that the great champions of the welfare state said, "Eh, never mind, nothing to see here. Unbelievably cynical and millions have suffered for their selfishness and greed. End of rant. Armstrong and Getty. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. 
So this is an old Taylor Swift song, yeah. She dropped a new album or something over the weekend at one of her shows. The only reason I bring this up is I became aware of how big the whole Taylor Swift phenomenon is. I don't really know because I got an 11 and 13-year-old boys, and they are not into Taylor Swift. But if you have girls, you're probably completely aware of this. But my So I was in Kansas uh, on vacation meeting, grandma, uh, seeing grandma and grandpa and all that sort of stuff. And uh, so my uh, niece was supposed to come visit us on Friday, but couldn't come to the next day because she's going to the Taylor Swift concert at Arrowhead Stadium. I didn't even realize Taylor Swift was playing only football stadiums and selling them out everywhere she goes. And so she's playing Arrowhead Stadium, home of the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs. And um, and my brother said, you don't have tickets when she said she said, no, but we got a parking lot ticket so you can buy parking lot tickets. They paid one ninety park in the parking lot just so you can say you're there just to soak up the whole atmosphere of being around the thing wow and kind of hear the music coming from the stadium wow <laughs> yeah and there were there were ticket tickets like to get in nosebleed seats and nosebleed seats at a football stadium for a concert are basically just to say you were there also wouldn't you agree i mean you're really uh, essentially, far away. Yeah. I mean, you're yeah. watching a big TV screen. But anyway, they were going for $750, $750. The last couple of you're going to be sitting alone a mile from Taylor Swift. Or you can pay 200 bucks for a, a car, a place to park outside in the parking lot. And they went fast and they were all thrilled that they got that and packed a whole bunch of high school girls and a, a mom into a van and went and sat in the parking lot and bought $40 t shirts, which Taylor Swift probably makes. $39 per t-shirt on. <laughs> and uh, I read she was making, she's pulling in $5 million a night Yeah, for every show, selling out everywhere she goes. And so, like, if you heard, you know, she's on tour and thought maybe you'd go, nah, you're not. I mean, if you haven't already worked that out, you're not. I mean, it's... it's No, unless you're willing to pay a broker, you know, the cost of a decent used car. Right. So she's headed to Mile High Stadium in Denver where the Broncos play. A couple of nights, and then she's going to Levi Stadium in the Bay Area where the 49ers play. Sell, they're all, all sold out everywhere she's going. And uh, then headed to Tokyo to play the Tokyo Dome. I just, mm. I, I don't, you know, it, it's art, or allegedly. <laughs> and, and I don't, but what, what is, why is she so much bigger than everything else? So we talked about the psychiatrist who wrote a column in the New York Times right before we went on vacation on how, how many patients that psychiatrist is dealing with people that are either having anxiety attacks because the concert is coming and they can't handle the the thrill of it or people who are having depression because the the concert's over and now they don't have anything to look forward to and they can't handle the come down from the taylor swift thing right right you know i'm reminded of roughly when uh people started to recognize that madonna was a business genius and not just a trampy pop songstress Taylor Swift is an extremely talented confessional female songwriter. Okay, she's very good at that genre, making especially female listeners think she understands what they're going through. And and she does, I presume. Um, so very, very good at that. She has great songwriting partners. They churn out very, very catchy pop music. If you can get people to pay... 200 bucks to park in the parking lot and then they all buy your $40 t-shirts that are practically 100% profit. Uh that's a heck of a deal. 
Yeah, so the Taylor Swift Corporation is uh, about profit. Now, I'm not saying she's evil or heartless or whatever, but they are maximizing their dollars at every single step of the way. Yeah, no, no, I'm not against that. Maximize no. your dollars. People people love the, the Taylor. She, so uh, in Ar- at Arrowhead the other night, she bro- remember it was a big deal. She had a boyfriend, and then she broke up with her boyfriend. It was oh a, no, not again. She brought the ex boyfriend out on stage, and people lost their s. <laughs> I mean, wow. what what a drama sort of thing is that? All her heartbreak, you know, we're over forever, ever, ever, never, ever, ever again. You know, all that different stuff, and then she brings the the boy back on stage that she just broke up with, and everybody goes crazy. <laughs> Right. Oh, I see. See, I love that as I study her. It's like Lady Gaga. Again, she became an expert in how to be famous. Taylor Swift's thing is, and it began with that. Uh, what was her? her uh, I wear T-shirts. She wears short skirts. Right. That I'm the poor, unfortunate girl right. just like you. Now, I happen to be gorgeous and monumentally talented uh, and already have a record deal, but I'm just like you. And And she lets people in. She lets women into her life. In a way that it's there's not that arm's length that a songwriter generally has. It's like we're friends. I'm completely convinced we're friends. Are you completely convinced we're friends? Yes, we're all completely convinced. In fact, here's my ex in an awkward little scene where we're both at a party. The party is you're in a stadium to watch my concert. Good one. Yeah, that is exactly what she did. Won't this be crazy? What's the drama? What's the dynamics? What's the... Are you uncomfortable? I'm uncomfortable. He's uncomfortable. We're all in this together. Me, you, and the 70,000 of you. That is so good to be able to. It reminds me, and not to make everything about politics or bring it back to Trump, but how does Trump, as a billionaire, end up being the, you know, relates to the working class guy? It's the same thing as the, she's on the cheer squad, I'm in the bleachers. You're one of the most beautiful women on earth, and you're a gazillionaire. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, Armstrong and Getty. What in God's name? It's 100 on the crazy meter. Well, that bad it kept fair. Man, that makes my soul bleed. That's insane. It's a little too much ducky duck. Unacceptable! The reality is, is... Things are getting weird, and they're getting weird fast. Uh, okay. This is the Armstrong and Getty Show. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. 
And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Before we get to the backsliding in education that should uh, horrify everyone, um, I wanted to hear the whole clip of this TikTok person. Can we hear that, Michael? As if we didn't have enough good reasons to stop letting external cues tell us how to feed ourselves and start listening to our internal cues, here's another one. Now, I don't know about you, but I hate when crusty old white men tell me what to do with my life or especially tell me what to do with my body. So eat what you want, when you want. There are no rules. Start listening to what your body is telling you. That's actually kind of a tag to the original video as a reply to it. And then 15, can I hear 15? Breakfast, lunch, and dinner is from colonialism and white supremacy. All right. That's uh, a couple of woke young women explaining how, well, of course, everything is white supremacy. Every rule, every objective standard is all white supremacy. I am a crusty old white man. There's no getting around that. But I must tell you, I do not care at all the structure of your eating. You, you can do whatever you want. I really, really, I, it is a no skin <laughs> off my nose whatsoever. Uh, I would say to both of those yoke, uh, woke young women with degrees in interpretive transgender dance or whatever they have um nobody cares eat 50 times a day eat once a day starve yourself nobody cares not i will you know what are there any white supremacists listening please write in drop us an email do you give a single crap when this chick eats i'm guessing you don't okay so um i've dug into this new york times story about learning loss since covid as oftentimes happens with New York Times stories, the, like, 18th paragraph holds the most important part to me. <laughs> uh, right. So I'll skip down to that, and then we'll get back to the beginning part. So we have spent a record. The last round of federal COVID relief funding was a record $122 billion extra to help schools recover from the pandemic. That has to be spent by next September or you lose it. So that's a heck of a lot of money. Now, listen to this part. 
First of all, the fact that that's like way down in the story. When your headline is learning loss, mm-hmm. I feel like that's, you know, it should be higher up in the story. But then listen to this part. Recovery plans have varied widely across thousands of school districts in the United States with little national accounting of how the money has been spent. Again, you got to go way down in the story to get to the record amount of money given to schools and little accounting to how it was spent. Many districts juggled competing priorities, including raising teacher pay, addressing students' mental health, and repairing long-neglected buildings. So you gave out all this money with... Let me do one more setup before I start into my uh, my thoughts on this. The first line of this story, despite billions of federal dollars spent to help make up for pandemic-related learning loss, that's a big deal. It's just recently that a lot of the media has been willing to admit that there was pandemic-related learning loss. Remember when somebody put that out there, wasn't that long ago, and there was big pushback. <coughs> from Randy Weingarten and others about, no, no, learning loss. Wait a second. Hold on. No, there's been learning change, but not loss. You can't call it loss. So it's a pretty major deal that the New York Times now just concedes that there was pandemic-related learning loss. And I realize it's a different story, but it would be worth at least going to, why was there learning loss? Because the whole Zoom thing on school was worthless? Yeah, everybody agrees now that it was practically worthless. A lot of us knew it at the time that was practically really worthless, and we absolutely know the schools didn't need to be closed for health reasons. So, right. seems like we ought to hang on that topic for at least a little while before we move on, but anyway. I'm well, glad that- at least in case uh, Anthony Fauci and Chairman Xi unleash some sort of pangolin virus across the world, and it makes us all sick again. We'll know what works and what doesn't. Anyway, um, that is both well-trod ground and not trodden enough ground. That whole thing about how Zoom schooling didn't work. But anyway, progress in reading and math stalled over the past school year for elementary and middle school students, according to a new national study released Tuesday. The hope was that by now students would be learning at an accelerated clip, but that did not happen over the last academic year. They uh, tested three and a half million public school students in third through eighth grade. In fact, students in most grades showed slower than average growth in math and reading compared to students before the pandemic. That means that learning gaps created during the pandemic are not closing. If anything, the gaps are widening. We're actually seeing evidence of backsliding, said I think the researcher. What that speaks to is the damage done to children's ability to learn through loss of uh, habit, socialization, discipline, etc. Have you ever, as an adult, tried to go back to school? Thought, like, I'll take a class in this or whatever, mm-hmm. and found it incredibly difficult? I've done it a couple of times. Just like, you, you get there and you're in a classroom and the person starts talking and you're 45 minutes in and you think, how did I used to do this all the time? This is killing me. <laughs> I, re- I remember the, the feeling quite vividly. It's like, boy, these muscles don't work anymore like they used to. I don't want to be here. I don't want to yeah. do this. I'm not going to pay attention to you every day for the next six months. I right. just can't do it. And that's the way the kids feel, I think. Anyway, on average, students need the equivalent of about four and a half months of instruction in math and an extra four months in reading to catch up to the typical pre-pandemic student that's on top of regular classroom time. And then older students who learn at a slower rate, it's even harder for like 13-year-olds, which I happen to have one. Last month, the national math and reading test for 13-year-olds hit the lowest level in decades. 
So it's especially hard for those ages. So you'd need four and a half months of intensive additional math to what you're doing in the normal school day. That'd be pretty hard to pull off. And even harder among the older students who who don't have that super young kid sponge brain quite the same as a six-year-old does. And then there's another part that I wanted to get on because I thought it was really good. Uh, research suggests this is the uh, this is the the cure for this problem. Research suggests that high dosage tutoring, which pairs a trained tutor with one to four students at least three times a week for a full year, can produce gains equivalent about to the four months of learning. So to get caught up on that, you'd have to go to your regular school day, then add in this high dosage tutoring for a year, three times a week to get caught up. And it says that most school districts are not set up to do that. If only we had spent billions and billions, well, handed out billions and billions of dollars to do that very sort of thing. Right. So, yeah, it should be a little bit maddening if uh, you're expected to pay for that yourself. I'm I'm currently paying for tutors for both kids mm-hmm. in an attempt to get caught up. Um, but uh, if your school recently repaved their playground or you know, got new audio, video, visual equipment or whatever they did with the money that wasn't tutors that you might be a little unhappy about that. So a couple of points, one uh, utterly sincere, the other somewhat tongue in cheek and perhaps the evilest thing I've ever come up with. And uh, I'm almost afraid to say it out loud. I got to tell you, like my kids with the whole tutoring thing, they're both like summertime supposed to be fun. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't do this during the summer when I was a kid, but I also didn't stay out of school for two years during a pandemic either sorry kids the left of the american uh, body politics shut down all the schools for a long time to prove that they hated donald trump so now you have to take tutoring in the summer i mean just lay it out there <laughs> um so uh, a couple of things number one i found the article which was also from the liberal new york times which if you read far enough down gets to the fact that the billions and bill, the astounding amount of money spent on so-called COVID relief, $122 billion for schools. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, uh, plans for the relief funds have varied across the country. Some districts have invested in extended learning time or offered intensive small group tutoring, which we've agreed is great. Others have used much of their funding on facility upgrades uh, across the board, bonuses for employees and other measures that education experts have argued are less effective for helping students catch up. Really? (laughs) (laughs) How about not effective at all? Then they go. You could go with doesn't have anything to do with as a phrase. (laughs) It's utterly unconnected to education, really, at all. National data on how the money has been spent is scarce. Uh, it's a black box, blah, blah, blah. Uh, a lot of people uh, have no idea what was spent. Some states aren't really tracking it. And this uh, gal, the director of the Center on Reinventing Public Education, I think I read about her. I think I like her act, as I recall. But she said the impact of the funding has been a bit of a black box. And she expected to see different recovery rates across different districts because some of them used the money productively. Some squandered it. I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about this, being the kind of guy I am, because uh, I, I don't want most people of our political ilk don't want the federal government dictating to school districts how they do things. Right. Um, we want local control, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, at the same time, I would like the federal government to keep t- track of what they do with federal tax money. 
Yeah, within agreed upon reasonable boundaries. Well, there's a difference between dictating and keeping track of. So how about you let, yeah. the, let the school districts do what they want, and then, you know, we can all decide on a school-by-school basis whether we're happy with that or not and vote for different school board members, et cetera, et cetera, that whole thing. But you should wow, keep track of what they did so you could tell us. That's a really good idea. You have to report to the federal government, the state government, whatever, what you spent the money on. Then that information, that data is furnished to voters slash parents slash, you know, community members. Um, and you get to then exert local control over your school. But there is accountability. Yeah. I don't, again, I don't know who ought to do it, but somebody ought to freaking do it. Anyway, <laughs> here's my unspeakably evil idea. Randy Weingarten. There you go. I'm going to solve all your problems for you. You just have to get the Biden administration, who are your utter lapdogs, and that's not a venomous enough term, uh, to add all those uh, queer theory, gender theory crap to the standardized tests. Reading and, and math and are you down with transgenderism? Do you believe what it defined gender fluid? That'll become part of the standardized testing. That's what will raise the test scores. We've seen a 20% rise in test scores. We'll just ask him about being pangender. True or false, if a boy decides he's a girl, you have to call him a girl. And he's a real woman. True. Another correct answer. Yeah, I didn't even want to get into that other angle, but. There's a lot of conversation over the last year or so, as you all know, about various things are being taught in school. Sounds like we we don't have time to to for the luxury of that conversation at all. We just need to focus on the whole math and reading thing. Oh, no. Priorities. Priorities. White supremacy. Queer theory, etc. And then you add in the restorative justice garbage where uh, discipline has disappeared from schools. No wonder test scores are down. The problems are known. The issues are known. But those who are slaves to the teachers unions will never admit it. It is a serious crisis. That I think we're a long way from uh, recognizing completely and then dealing with at all. I don't know when some people are. I don't know when it will hit us like a sledgehammer. Maybe when all these kids start to get out into the real world. I, I don't know. That's going to be too late. Oh, my God. It's hard to even think about. I'm strong and getty. The reality is, is this is fabulous. I thank you. <laughs> That's enough of that. This is all crazy. It's just the way it is. Yep. But damn it. We weren't allowed to ask about the big guy. This is the United States of America, for God's sake. Let's not play games with this. This is the Armstrong and Getty Show. We have the fastest winner in the West contest here in the 26th annual Wiener Schnitzel Wiener National. It's so insane. There's so many Wiener Dog people, and Wiener Dog people are just the best people. Everybody's so supportive, and everybody's so happy. It's just one really big Wiener Dog family. I have the winner, Beanie Von Weenie! Fantastic! I've been coming every year, and he he nailed it. He won a doghouse and a thousand dollars, and the title of the fastest weenie in the West. I'm such a dork. I think y'all like just saying the word wiener. I think that's what drives us. Wiener dog people are the best people. I'll take your word for it. I admire how happy those people are. I do, too. And cheerful.
I said to, to my son about something the other day. I don't remember what it was, but it was a similar sort of situation. I said, we should all be so happy about anything as those people are about their thing. To be that simple and... Well, see, now like you had to go negative. No, no, I did not go negative. You be careful. You, you look up that word in the dictionary. There, there are many different definitions. You called them simple. Nobody takes that as a compliment. Well, they they should read the dictionary. <laughs> simple as in uncomplicated. Well, there are passages in the Bible that that uh, that urge us to be more childlike. For instance, you against the Bible? Are you? Hmm? You you go around and start the call, Bible. You feel free to go around calling people simple and see how they react. <laughs> see if they take it as a compliment. Anyway, those people sure were happy about their wiener dogs. Simpletons with their wiener dogs. Welcome to Joe Getty's Which is More Annoying, The Trend or the Backlash? And this is a tough one, too. I mean, this is a 5149er. Uh, it's it's uh, amusing to me. Speaking of things that amuse uh, a person, I'm, I used to be kind of annoyed by this stuff, and now I'm mostly amused. All these various trends that we're supposed to take seriously on TikTok, for instance. Have you heard, Jack, about the soft girl culture? No. Soft girl trends. Soft girl culture, okay. Oh, it's very, very hot. Millions of followers, tweeters, whatever. This uh, Christina Vizieu, 30 years old of San Francisco, is a huge soft girl influencer. Just two years ago, she identified as a girl boss. She was working for an extremely buzzy beauty brand, became a self-described corporate girly who made work her life, and she had many, many followers. Well, now she's kind of gone in a different direction. Psst. These people are professional entertainers, okay? And they're good at it, but don't take it seriously. Anyway, now she's a soft girl. Reels on TikTok with hashtag soft girl have over 2 billion views. The soft girl aesthetic comes in many forms. The Disney princess, the cozy gamer, young people dressing like their grandmas. Mostly, I'll sum it up for you. It's it's women who are dressed like they're in an episode of, I don't know, Downton Abbey or something like that. Okay. Going for a picnic in the woods, ultra super feminine with dinner plates that are heart shaped, uh, pink accessories and picture perfect desserts, fresh flowers, the warm glow of candlelight, the soft girl trend. And this is either sweeping the nation or four people are doing it. Well, it, uh, like I said, there are billions uh, of views uh, of videos with this hashtag. Two billion views. Um, wow. But the aesthetic jack, all right, so that's the annoying trend. Now, here's the annoying back, backlash. Okay. But the aesthetic has also started a heated internet debate has about it? what a healthy portrayal of a soft lifestyle looks like. I must have missed this somehow. For some, the soft girl aesthetic is bespoke rejection of corporate. Oh, I'm sorry. I should use my pleasant voice. For some, the soft girl aesthetic is a bespoke rejection of corporate life. But others say it's just capitalism in a pretty disguise and that its portrayal of easy living and dewy femininity is classist, racist, and sexist. Oh, boy. <laughs> you know, I think I like the forelash better than the backlash, and I didn't like the forelash much. So you found the backlash more annoying yes. than the, the trend? Yes, I did. Cindy Noir, a motivational content creator in Dallas. What what are all these made up jobs? <laughs> Can't you find somebody who like works at a store to comment on this stuff? Everybody's got to have one of these weird fake internet jobs. Ask a pipe fitter. 
Anyway, Cindy Noir, a motivational content creator in Dallas, says she's yet to see soft girl content that explains how to participate in that lifestyle affordably. There are those of us working two and three jobs to make ends meet who are busting our ass to the bone. This is so how are you going to tell me that uh, that kind of woman to incorporate a rose bath after she's just finished her second shift of the day? I continue to believe that a lot of the problems with America are because not enough people have kids. If you have kids, you don't have time for the latest trend. You 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 have no idea of all the latest hashtags because you spent all day long working and doing laundry and getting meals ready and helping with homework. And then you went to bed and did it again the next day. There are no hashtags. There are no trends. There's none of this crap. Boy, I think that's a good point. But wait, Jack, there's more backlash. Meanwhile, the conventional standards of femininity typical of soft girl influencers reinforce sexist and racist ideals, critics say. As a black woman, a soft girl aesthetic doesn't work because a lot of the aesthetic is just white woman culture, said Noir, who is black, blah, blah, blah. So it's racist as well. Just thought you should know that. Armstrong and Getty. You, you, you. What the hell are you talking about? Well, true and international pressure. This is the Armstrong and Getty Show. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.